in the UK and indeed in the US as well, you have a ongoing challenge that girls from a very early age are dropping out of the subjects that are really important for, for technology. This can't just be a golden triangle story. There's going to be incredible talent coming out of lots of regions of the UK. I really hope that whoever will be in power in the UK and frankly globally in the years to come will be recognising that science and technology and equitable growth are sort of fundamentals for the future story of, of every country in the world. From the first-time founders to the funds that back them, innovation needs different. Our episode partner, HSBC Innovation Banking, is proud to accelerate growth for tech and life science businesses, creating meaningful connections and opening up a world of opportunity for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Discover more at www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en gb. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly chat with the movers and shakers of the UK tech industry and the destination for all things UK tech related. And this week I'm joined by Priya Guha, MBE, now partner at Merion Ventures and previously general manager for Rocket Space, a network of campuses aimed at helping startups grow. Welcome Priya. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. It's lovely to be here. Now, before we talk about any of those roles I mentioned before, you were a diplomat, which has got me particularly excited, including being British Consul General to San Francisco. Now, the ambassador's parties in Silicon Valley must have been amazing. Spill all. Well, I was so fortunate to have that role in San Francisco for five years, uh, five years where my job was to network with the amazing world of entrepreneurship and innovation that you get in a place like Silicon Valley. So working with the largest tech companies, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Microsofts of this world, but also the most innovative, nimble new companies that were coming through and the investors that backed them. So absolutely loved it and had lots of chances to meet people in lots of different settings, including in the parties that I hosted at the residence in San Francisco. And was there anything that you kind of like learned that was a real kind of light bulb moment about the way that Silicon Valley were doing things? Because I suppose ultimately you were looking for guidance for how the UK could kind of take on some of that success that Silicon Valley had built and, and bring it to the tech ecosystem in the UK. I think there were two things that I really learned from living and breathing that ecosystem that I've definitely taken away in what I've done since. The first was really that... There is an incredible interconnectivity between lots of different elements of what happens in Silicon Valley. So often people just think only about the startups, only about the innovators that lead them. But actually what you've got is an ecosystem that brings together incredible academic institutions. Stanford is well known, Berkeley is also there. You've also got a really strong history of government support and intervention through initiatives like DARPA and ARPA that date back to the sort of post-war period where funding went into that region. You've then got incredible innovators and entrepreneurs who are there, the people, the talent, the immigration that brings that talent into the ecosystem. And then, of course, you've got the funders 
you've got the venture capital industry that started right there on Sand Hill Road. So I think the thing that really struck me is how those pieces come together. And then the second thing, if I can, if I can move on to that, Jane, is actually the people. I think one of the things that I hadn't quite clocked until I spent time in Silicon Valley was just how a lot of the people who were building these companies were not doing it to make money. They were doing it because they saw a way they could change the future of the world. And that level of ambition, that level of vision to be able to deliver that was often what drove them forward. And that's an incredibly powerful dynamic that I don't think I'd realized really existed until I was living there. And and also, though, the other thing that we think of when we think of Silicon Valley is move fast and break things. And actually, now we look back at that, perhaps we think that they should have gone a bit slower and their ambition should have been a bit reined in by governments or other people. Would you, would you agree with that? As we enter this age of AI, we're especially kind of cognizant of the power of these big companies. So I think it's always easy to look back with the benefit of hindsight and think, oh, if only we'd done this differently. The reality was, and I still believe this today, I don't think anybody has created the technologies that we're now concerned about with a vision that they would be used in a negative way. But what we didn't do that we're now realizing we need to do is as we build companies, think not only of the individual technology and how we scale it, but what the implications of that business model are for the world. And that's where I think actually we really need to think about something that I'm sure you've come across before, Jane, in terms of STEM versus STEAM, i.e., How do we not only think about science, technology, engineering, mathematics as really core skills based that we want in companies, but how do we bring in the arts? How do we bring in someone who's thinking about philosophy, someone who's thinking about ethics, someone who's thinking about societal impacts? Because those are things that we really need to embed into company builds to ensure that we don't make the same mistakes that we've made in the past. And it's not just diversity of thought that would be brought in by those people that have come from a different background, but also just the more obvious diversity in terms of gender balance. Before you were in Silicon Valley, you spent time in India. And it feels to me like they've got that gender balance much better. They've got a thriving tech industry. Were there lessons you can learn there about how they kind of made sure that it wasn't male dominated in terms of the education of, of, of their children? I think you're so right, Jane, to point to Asian economies. India is a great example. China has also done this historically very well. Where those economies have focused their educational institutions on giving a great equal gender education throughout the sort of what you call the K-12 education cycle in the UK and indeed in the US as well, you have an ongoing challenge that girls from a very early age are dropping out of the subjects that are really important for for technology. Areas like physics. We still struggle in the UK to have computer science and physics education with gender parity in the classroom. We don't have it. So it's a real problem. And what that means is that by the time you get to higher education, by the time you get to the stage of companies being built from academic institutions, actually the number of women leading those businesses is really low. I think the latest figure on university spin-outs is that only 8% of university spin-outs are led by women. 
compared to 75% of all male teams. You know, that's a really huge disparity. And if we're starting with that disparity at the beginning, we see that disparity play through right to the end. And actually, in your role now at Marion Ventures, you are focusing on women-led innovation. So what does that mean? Does that mean you will choose companies that are led by women over companies that are led by men? Or is it a slightly different, more nuanced approach? Well, what that means in the context of Marion is that we're specifically investing in women-led companies or women-co-led companies. And in Mary, at Marion as well, we're looking very explicitly at the deep technology space. Why we think that's important, and I think this applies to Marion, but frankly, investing in women in lots of different contexts, is that if you have a disparity at the beginning of the funding cycle, it means that women are struggling from the get-go to be able to have access to the same types of capital as their male counterparts. That means that frequently their route to growth and valuation is worse off, which means that then the wealth generation piece and the recycling of wealth into the economy is not yet working for women in the same way it works for men. Because actually, going back to your question about Silicon Valley, one of the things that is also really notable about how the network works in Silicon Valley is there's so much reinvestment that people who are very successful founders will go on to found a number of other companies and will invest in the companies that they see around them. It's a very healthy, positive cycle. And what I think we need to achieve from a UK ecosystem perspective is an ability to make sure that women are playing an equal game in that very healthy recycling of wealth and capital and growth and success and experience that we're seeing is happening for a predominantly male network in areas like Silicon Valley. Even companies in the UK that are male-led are struggling with investment at the moment, aren't they? There are a lot of problems, not just generated from obviously the wider economic outlook, but just the fact that, you know, firms are choosing to list in the US as opposed to the UK. We, d- we don't seem to be that thriving investment ecosystem that you just described is 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 in Silicon Valley or, you know, has historically always been in the US. Um, why is that, do you think? So I remain really optimistic about the future of, of the UK tech ecosystem. Obviously, we've taken a hit, as frankly, every ecosystem across the world has, whether it's Silicon Valley or whether it's it's China, primarily because we've had we've lived through this sort of really strange period of the COVID pandemic and the impacts that's had on the global economy. We're still coming out of that. So it will take time. But what I see day in, day out is just the talent that you have in the UK, particularly the talent we have in areas of the most cutting edge disruptive technologies. And artificial intelligence is obviously one of the uh, top of that list at the moment is immense. So we really do have the potential to do something that I think is really important and actually reflects one of the hats that I hold in terms of being on the investment governance board of Future Planet Capital. We have an ability to do something which is take that incredible knowledge coming out of academia in particular, and then not only address the world's biggest challenges, but address those challenges profitably. And that's a really, really exciting opportunity that I think is right here in the UK. 
And actually, the UK government has big ambitions on that front. It wants to make Britain a tech and science powerhouse by 2030. Is that, you know, just governments talking things up? Or do you think that's realistically achieved? I mean, whether you'd use the powerhouse word or not is, in many ways, I think, just a nuance. I see it now, the talent and potential that the UK has. We are a really strong research-based economy. We're also an economy that has that ability to sort of bridge the East and the West in terms of our connectivity into Asia, but also our links into the United States. And I think that creates an opportunity to build things from the UK that can potentially have that global impact. You know, a great example, going back to something that I saw from the sort of future planet capital seat was Vaxitech. You know, from uh, the Jenner Institute at Oxford, you know, we created here in the UK, co-founded by two incredible Brits, Adrian Hill and Sarah Gilbert, we created this company that was behind the AstraZeneca vaccine that's helped the whole world. And that's an impact that, you know, we should be incredibly proud of in the UK. And I think that's that's where it's, it's you know, areas like Vaxitech where I do take this great optimism of what the future can hold for the UK. HSBC Innovation Banking, our partner for this episode, provides commercial banking services, expertise and insights to the technology, life science and healthcare, private equity and venture capital industries. To find out why innovation needs different, go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en gb. So you've mentioned health. Is, is health and health tech a key strength, do you think, that we have in Britain? And are there other areas of tech that, that you think, you know, we do particularly well here? So I think health tech is a really incredible opportunity for the UK. I actually, uh, in one of my other roles, I'm an advisor to a company called Chiron Medical Technologies. They're using artificial intelligence for cancer detection. And they have a technology that can actually identify and support radiologists as they're reviewing breast cancer scans. It's an incredible technology already being piloted across the NHS in the UK. And those are the sort of areas that the UK is genuinely world leading in, those areas like health tech. But it's not just health tech. You know, we've talked about artificial intelligence. The fact that companies like DeepMind actually came from the UK is something we should just be incredibly proud of. They are genuinely world leading. And the fact that, you know, so many of the people that I worked with in Silicon Valley are actually Brits. Brits like Mr. Suleiman, who's you know, t- taken his idea and actually scaling it over there in Silicon Valley. So we have that, that combination of sort of health tech expertise. We obviously have a strong fintech economy here in the UK, building on the historical expertise of the city. We've got the sort of cutting edge disruptive technologies like artificial intelligence. And then, of course, we've not even got onto things like quantum computing, which is really strong in the UK. And I think, you know, with our partnerships with leading academics in in Europe, partnerships with leading academics in the US, you know, we have that ability to drive forward those disruptive technologies. But linking back to our previous conversation doing those in a way that is thoughtful, considered, and will have the right impact for society. And that's the huge prize. 
Now, you mentioned DeepMind there, but actually, isn't it now the case that DeepMind is really a US company because it's been subsumed back into Google? And isn't there a risk of that happening? That what what the UK is very good at is kind of coming up with the ideas and starting things, but they haven't got the ability to turn those into the, you know, the huge influential tech firms that dominate our society. So I think that there is still a challenge to our previous conversation, Jane, around the route to scale in the UK. How do we get the companies that are really successful of early stage businesses how do we create a path for them to get the capital they need to scale and to grow from the UK? Actually, we know that we still don't have the right type of late stage capital. That's why we've seen these initiatives like the ones that the Chancellor has been driving in terms of making sure that our pension funds have an ability to invest in the sort of best and brightest of talent that's coming through the UK market. But then we also need to have a path to, to exit in the UK. And that's one of the things that I know, you know, Julia Hoggers and the London Stock Exchange team are really looking at how can we give people a credible path to exit from the UK. So we're not there yet. I'm confident we'll get there, but we need to make sure that these pieces of the journey, the later stage capital funding piece and also the route to exit are part of that. Now, you mentioned there the Chancellor's Mansion House reforms, which, you know, basically, I guess, is is changing pensions to unlock that additional investment that will be so important for pioneering businesses in the UK. Do you see that sort of having an effect now or is that going to take some years to come through? I I assume you think it's a very good idea to start with. Yeah, I do absolutely think it's a really good idea. I think what we have in the UK is this sort of untapped capital pool that hasn't really been directed to that, you know, high growth economy. And in terms of impact, I think that impact could be quite soon. We've seen just today, I believe, an announcement where the top 20 venture capital firms are going to be working with pension funds to make sure that they're presenting them with these amazing opportunities of high growth investments that they could look at as part of their overall pensions portfolio. So I think and I hope that we'll see a rather fast impact of that capital being channeled into UK businesses, UK quarter businesses, so that we'll see a sort of impetus of growth coming from the UK in the next sort of one to two years. Now, we, you've also talked around the issue of the fact that lots of this great tech that we see turning into startups comes from universities. And university spin-outs is, is a really key strength in the UK. We've got these areas around not just the big universities, the Cambridges, but smaller universities and universities in regions around the country that are doing great things. But there's some issues with 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 that, isn't there? And kind of, you know, things such as who owns the IP of these companies? Is it, How do they go from startups to scale-ups? So on that specific question of universities and how we kind of change that, what would your thoughts be be there? I think there's a number of issues around it. Just to take a few, I think there is a real disparity in the equity stake that universities take. And in fact, that's the subject of a government review that should be reporting in the next few weeks or so, I believe, which will look at actually the best practice in terms of university equity stakes. There is a disincentive created when a founder that spins out of business doesn't have a sufficient equity ownership 
of their company because there's a disincentive to scale and grow and, and have a successful exit for obvious reasons. You mentioned IP. I think that's another really key point. Where should the line be drawn on IP? How do we make sure that the IP is sufficiently linked to the business to enable the business to reap the benefits of that as it scales? But equally, how do universities that through public funding in many cases have supported these companies retain a investment and reward in the success of that business as it leaves their their doors. The other point you make, and this is something that I'm really focused on, is actually how do we make sure this isn't a golden triangle story? How do we make sure it's something that looks beyond Oxford, Cambridge and London? One of the things that I'm really pleased to be working alongside in my role at Future Planet is actually the work that two funds, the West Midlands Engine Investment Fund and the West Midlands Co-Investment Fund are doing to support that sort of West Midlands region and the academic institutions and the companies that are based in that region. Because this can't just be a golden triangle story. There's going to be incredible talent coming out of lots of regions of the UK. Just give you a company example from that area. There's a this incredible company called Igloo Vision and they have immersive technology. So what that enables you to do if you're sitting, you know, as I am in London and you are in London, we could be speaking with our counterparts in the office in San Francisco through immersive technology, enabling us to have that sort of real world meeting experience that you just can't achieve through video conferencing, but at a significantly less cost base than you do for the large tech giants that have this sort of technology themselves. So talent will come from everywhere and we need to have the funding and ability to spot, nurture, support that talent. And I think if I can just mention one more area, Jane, that I think is is really fundamental here is that we also need to make sure that the disparities that we've talked about vis-a-vis gender, vis-a-vis underrepresented minority-led businesses are really thought about when universities focus on their spin-outs. Because what we need to be able to do is not only capture ideas from wherever they come from in the UK, but from whoever they come from in the UK. And we're not there yet. And is there a government role that can be played in that? You talked about some sort of upcoming legislation. Is that going to be enough or is there more that government could do to make this work better? Well, I think, you know, there's one thing that is really, really exciting that the government is very focused on, which is making sure that the whole of the UK has access to that sort of innovation growth economy. So the government's actually literally just this week been promoting something called the innovation clusters. I don't know if you've come across this, but yeah. these are areas like uh, Glasgow for satellite manufacturing, materials science in Manchester, hydrogen coming from Teesside, making sure that each of those recognized areas of excellence have a sort of innovation cluster around them supported by funding from uh, UK research and innovation central government that allows the economy that can naturally come out of that research excellence pot to thrive and grow and be world leading. So 
that is actually a really, really important role for government, I think, to look at where we have areas of excellence and see how we can support them to be even more brilliant than they already are in terms of supporting the local economy. And do you think that will continue if we do have a change of government, as many predict will happen? I honestly think that these are no-brainers for government policy. If we're going to not only have UK economic growth in the years to come, but we're also going to have solutions to the biggest challenges we face, then we're going to need technology at its core. And that technology needs to be supported wherever it comes from in the UK. So I really hope that whoever will be in power in the UK and frankly, globally in the years to come, will be recognising that science and technology and equitable growth are sort of fundamentals for the future story of, of every country in the world. Now, we're running out of time, but I'm going to drag you back before we leave to those parties in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Was there somebody there that you met, like one of the big kind of leaders of, of big tech that you were particularly inspired by? Or have you got any other great kind of anecdotes from those uh, from those days? So I'm going to talk to you about maybe three different groups of people that that would be relevant. So the first is just an amazing British couple called Michael and Zochi Birch, who were the co-founders of a one of the first social platforms called Bebo that was then bought by AOL a number of years ago. And they are incredibly inspirational people who spend their time looking at sort of new and different businesses that have come from that idea. And they are very down to earth, but have that mindset that always is looking at sort of what's the next idea? How can we think about something that will be impactful? And using their sort of power and intellect for greater good, which I think is incredibly, incredibly important. You've then got amazing people, and I'm going to mention a woman who just completely inspired me when I was there, a lady called Julia Hart. So Julia was the co-founder and is now the CEO of Eventbrite. Ah, yes, I've heard of that. (laughs) Well, we've all used it, haven't we? The thing that I love about Julia is that she is one of these people who has realised that their sort of USP in terms of the growth of Eventbrite is not only their business expertise, but also their focus on people and culture. So they've really embedded from the get-go of the business something that is looking at how they can value the individuals in that business as the core asset of the business and make sure that that then has consequently great results for engagement, but also for retention, making sure that you know they can keep the best and brightest talent in a really competitive economy like Silicon Valley. And then I suppose the last person that I would mention that I think really deserves a mention in this sort of conversation is Mark Benioff, who's the oh, yes. founder of, of Salesforce, who you probably have come across. The thing that I really admire about Mark is that he embedded this model called the one 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 model into how Salesforce was built. So thinking about how you devote 1% of product, time, and resources into good causes. So it cycles back to you know, the theme that I was talking about in the context of Future Planet. You know, how do you have profitable businesses that are having a really positive impact on the world? 
And through the money that he's raised through the Salesforce Foundation, you see money going into hospitals. They have an incredible children's hospital in San Francisco that has the backing of the Benioff Foundation and lots of other good causes across the world, including here in the UK. So there's something really impressive there about an individual that's embedded that model of, I'm going to build a successful business, but do something good for the world. That was really you know, what drove me to be inspired by Silicon Valley in the first place. I'm sure you've got lots of tales of, uh, of the opposite side, but you're a diplomat, so you're not going to share those with us. But they're great examples. And thank you. In fact, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. But that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the UKTN podcast. Remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments at www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter, where you can also get in touch with me at Jane Wakefield with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. This podcast is brought to you by HSBC Innovation Banking, the power behind the UK's forward thinkers, future makers and leap takers. They're helping to ignite the bold ideas that reshape our world. Go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en dash gb to find out how innovation needs different. Thank you.